Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. My name is Ashutosh Munoth. And I am Dhruv Gupta and you are listening to Latanvi Pratan. Finally, we have a female guest after almost 15 episodes, man. Yeah, indeed. Today, we will try to get into the minds of C-level people. Dhruv, today you need to behave because we have your boss in the house. Oh, really? <laughs> so let me introduce my boss and MD at Accenture UKA. Neris Matlu, how are you, Neris? Yeah, really good. And I'm really delighted to be here. Even more so now, you said that I'm the first female guest in 15 episodes. So I'm delighted uh, to be here. And uh, hopefully you'll have many more females after me. Uh, we were scrolling through your experience section on LinkedIn, uh, Neris. And seriously, it was inspiring. So we would like to know, and our listeners, of course, about your IT journey. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking um, with some of our new recruits about this only yesterday, and um, I was saying I, I, I kind of came up for a technical background, really. So um, my very first job, I remember working for Xerox, and uh, they were actually moving to an outsource model. So they decided to get rid of most of the people running the service desk. So me, as a uh, you know, 20 year old who had never worked in a proper company before came in on day one and they said, look, you're now running the service desk with this contractor. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. How am I going to do this? And, you know, I'll show my age now. But I remember coming in one day and the network was down and literally sitting in the server room with a load of Novell netware manuals going through trying to figure out what I was supposed to do to kind of get it back up and running and you know that gave me a real uh, uh, kind of quick introduction shall I say in into kind of working within uh, IT and then what I also then did was when I graduated, I kind of stayed around the sort of networks, more infrastructure space for a little bit. And then I realised, you know what, kind of that's not so exciting for me. Um, I wanted to go more into the development side of things. And I often say today, actually, that uh, technology is a really creative um, uh, career. What I absolutely loved about developing, and I still love it today, about building out solutions, is you take something, you take something that's a problem and you turn it into something tangible and you deliver it and you make it, you know, you make it work and you make a difference to somebody. And you can be really creative in how you do that. And then the way I approach it may be different from how somebody else approaches it, which is why, you know, it's always great to have really good, uh, diverse teams as well. So I went off and did uh, a lot of development for a number of years before going into solution architecture then into enterprise architecture. Um, I was very much a purist around enterprise architecture and how it should really sit in the business, actually, not within technology. And then um, and then I started kind of running a number of different businesses, actually, um, one of which was a, a SaaS business, a ServiceNow business for Fujitsu. Um, and I'd come across ServiceNow um, as a customer previously, so we'd implemented it in my previous organisation at Talis. Um, and then I ended up running the business at, uh, at Fujitsu and then I ran a number of other businesses which were great actually because I had so much freedom and opportunity to experiment with different organisational models, different offerings, meet many, many different clients and then I went to ServiceNow and uh, working in ServiceNow was the first time I'd ever worked on the kind of vendor side of things and what was great about that 
was that I got to go out and meet a lot of different customers and show them how ServiceNow really was that platform for enterprise transformation, not just that IT ticketing tool that so many people uh, still thought about it um, like that. And I, I got to show that what you've got here is a, a toolbox, a very, very powerful toolbox to drive some significant kind of business um, business outcomes for you. So um, did that, loved, loved actually uh, that role. But then one of my, um, I suppose, an itch, if you like, was that I realised that as well as talking about and showing kind of how ServiceNow can address these uh, issues, I wanted to actually see it right through end to end, which is why I've kind of gone back into the, um, you know, SI consultancy side of the world so that not only can I uh, build the vision, but I can also execute on the vision as well. Great. Uh, it was really inspiring. Thank you. So I had a short uh, side chat with you, Naris. Uh, maybe it was too busy for you, so you you might not remember. But how was your experience uh, attending the Knowledge in the Hague? Yeah, so this is obviously the first Knowledge, wasn't it? That wasn't in the uh, wasn't in the US, and uh, um, I actually did attend the Las Vegas Knowledge as well. So it's quite interesting that I can probably share a bit uh, some thoughts around how they differed as well, the US and the Hague one. But um, what I liked actually a lot about um, the Hague knowledge was because it being the first one in Europe, um, some of the clients that sometimes couldn't get the authorization and approval to go to the US were able to come to um, come to the European one. It felt kind of a bit more intimate um, and, you know, I think you had a lot more opportunity to kind of network and talk with not only um not only clients but actually with other kind of you know ex-colleagues colleagues other partners and i think anyone that's been in the service now world for a while knows that actually it's a really tight ecosystem and whilst we may a lot of us work for either on the client side or we work for different partners you know you come together in something like knowledge and it's people want to share ideas, people want to kind of share experience and people want to connect. And it doesn't matter that you're necessarily competing with people. There's a mutual kind of respect there, which I always love to see. And I think you see that in those kind of, um, you know, in-person events. Um, I think um, in terms of the kind of the keynotes, um, Bill is, you know, the best showman, let's face it, in um, in software. You know, he's definitely missed his vacation as a rock star, um, but brings the kind of rock star element uh, to, to software. And I think, you know, his passion for how the platform can be used to address some really complex, really meaningful uh, problems comes across in absolute, you know, spades, to be honest. And I think... What I often notice when you see a lot of people going to knowledge for the first time, it really opens up their eyes about the possibilities. There are so many different sessions, there are so many different kind of case studies and use cases that if you're starting your journey in ITSM and you go there and you can see how, you know, it is a, 
managing some really complex processes in the kind of customer service space, how it's being used for, you know, managing the whole kind of vaccination programme, for instance, for the NHS. It suddenly opens up people's eyes to the kind of possibilities of where they could go. And I think most people come back from that very, very excited. Um, I think the American knowledge, very similar uh, format on a larger on a larger scale. Um, I think that um, there were sort of major differences that I noticed really were just more in the kind of client base. Um, a lot of the clients that I talked to in, in America had quite, you know, they, quite a good awareness of what they wanted to do. And they had quite kind of strong ideas about what the next step was, whereas it's a lot of the European clients I spoke to in The Hague were much more talking about, um, you, know, you know, the art, the possible, if you like, and kind of where they could go. So what do you prefer? A one big event like it used to happen a few years back or the smaller ones like this year we had four at different locations? Um. Oh, I think in many ways, I think I prefer the one big event. If I'm being, if I'm being honest, um, <laughs> here's, oh, sorry. Um, I think I prefer the one big event um, because it is great to literally bring everyone together. Um, and let's face it as well, you can't get away from the fact that the parties are really good when you have a one big event. And you know, I remember going to the uh, the party at Universal Studios, right? So whole day of events, then you go to Universal Studios, connect with all of the ServiceNow colleagues, all of the other partners, and it was, it, it was so much fun. And it feels kind of exciting, right? Um, the, the announcements are all made kind of at the same time, if you like, rather than being sort of phased. So yeah, I do, yeah, I do prefer prefer the one event what, what about you what we always prefer the bigger ones but we have never been to knowledge neither me nor ashtosh this was our first so we have no experience of bigger knowledge but yeah. people with whom we talk they all want the bigger one nobody preferred the smaller <laughs> ones yeah i think it was tough right um obviously the situation that we were yeah. in um, it was quite late in the day until we, uh, anyone knew that whether it was going to go ahead. So I think the great thing was that it did go ahead. Um, and I think certainly personally, I loved seeing people again properly in real life and, you know, having those conver conversations and, you know, seeing people I haven't seen for like, you know, maybe three, four years um, again at this event. And everyone was excited to be there. But they'd have been even more excited at one big event, I think. Yeah. Indeed, and it it was just next to my office, so <laughs> I was more lucky in the heck. But uh, as Drew said, we really want to go to US. Maybe let's see how it goes next year. Yeah. Um, that again. Yeah. Um, okay, so you are leading the practice. So what is your vision uh, about leading a practice? How you look at uh, service now when you actually are the leader and everyone looks at you? Yes, I think um, I sort of alluded to it earlier. The the exciting thing about running a service now kind of uh, partner practice is that 
you still get to work with what is a really, really great box of tools, as I said. So it's a great platform for delivering value at speed. Love it. But you also get to be able to deliver everything to make it successful. So, so for me, it's all about how can we work with clients, understand what those business challenges are, and bring the best of every part of you know Accenture, for instance, to that client to make sure that they're you know we are building the right solution to address those business objectives that we're helping with the change and adoption piece because we all know the best way in the world you know you can have a great solution right a great platform but if you don't really invest in the business change and you don't invest in helping people adopt and change because you know service now should not just be digitizing kind of your your current practices and your current processes, you know, if you do that, you'll get limited value. ServiceNow really is an accelerator for transforming your business. And if you're transforming your business, there's a lot of change there, right? And that needs to be managed really well. So for me, it's all about kind of bringing the best of the deep technical expertise and implementing the solution, like in the best way, but it's also about having that deep business capabilities, bringing those together to be able to deliver that kind of like those outcomes that the uh, that the uh, client needs. And I think from a, a sort of, you know, a capability perspective as well, this if we're going to do that, we need to invest in talent and every organisation is, you know, really super focused on talent. But in the ServiceNow business, right, we know it's a really hot, hot uh, market and we need to make sure that we are not only bringing people in, but you create the right environment where people can develop their careers and develop even more expertise in in um, in ServiceNow and have that career uh, with you. So I think that's, um, you know, my main priorities are always going to be around how do we bring the best of everything to to our clients to address those customer um, challenges and how do we make sure that we create a really good environment actually for our employees to be successful and to have a good long career with us. That's great. Seems like I'm in good hands. So what is better working for a product based company or a service based company or let me reframe it like how working for a product based company is different from working for a service based company since you are coming from service now to Accenture or you have been various other firms. So how is it different? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's, an, that's an interesting question. So I think, um, so when you're on the sort of product on the vendor side, um, there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of focus, obviously, I suppose, initially on the kind of the sales part, like in the pre-sales part, right? So ultimately, you're selling, you're selling products, right? It happens to be software could be a car, you know, but it happens to be software in this example. So, you know, there's a lot of focus, obviously, on making sure that you kind of help the, the client understand the value that they will get and then deliver that. Now, that's kind of how it, and that's where it used to stop as well with software companies. So, you, you know, we all remember years and years ago, kind of some software companies were quite brutal with their, we're just going to sell, sell it in and then move on. What I'd actually say is that ServiceNow, 
don't act like that, right? Because they've invested a lot now in the whole kind of customer success piece as well and the adoption, right? Because they need to be able to make sure that not only do they sell the software, but people get the most out of it, right? And that they're successful. And ServiceNow want their clients to be successful. I think, um, but the difference is the scale between a services company and a software company. So what we're doing now is both the software and the services are looking at that whole end-to-end life cycle, but the what was on the uh, product side, they may kind of uh, provide recommendations. They're not going to have the scale. They're not a services business by the very nature. So they're not going to have the scale to do all of the implementation, all of the change and adoption, but they will have a voice in how that can be done. So I think it's not as stark a contrast as it used to be, um, but I think it does ultimately come down to, you know, if you're on the services side, you've got the scale and you've also got the ability to leverage all of the other parts of that um, organisation. So you can leverage those kind of industry experts that you won't necessarily have so many of them on that software side. Nice. Um, but when you interact with people at a C level uh, with different organisations, right? Yeah. What is their thought process? How they look at service now? Yeah, so I would never go into a conversation with a C level and start talking about service now straight away, right? Yeah. That that if you do that, um, they would normally try and defer you to. Well, you need to talk to our CIO because that's that's just techie stuff over there. Um, I think it's more around really coming in and having the conversation around. Look, we understand your your business. We've done, you know, we've taken the time to understand kind of what your your business strategy is. We understand where some of those challenges are. And, you know, this is how we think we can help you. And I often talk about the sort of, uh, you know, the next gen operating model for organisations, right? So ultimately, every organisation has to cope with increased volatility that's going on in the world, right? They have to be much more agile, much more responsive in how they uh, you know, go to market and how they respond to those external events. Um, and they have to be able to kind of leverage all of the existing investments they've made in technology, but they need to be able to kind of operate much more horizontally, much more value stream led in their organisation. They need to be able to ensure that even though you're operating at pace, even though you're really truly embracing enterprise agile ways of working, you're still doing that in a controlled way, right? This isn't just throw everything out. And, you know, I know a lot of uh, execs when Agile really first started kind of coming in to any scale in organisations, they they were a bit sceptical about it. They kind of thought it was an excuse to kind of, you know, do away with process. Um, and so it's kind of making sure that you can reassure them that you can embed the whole kind of like risk and control piece into that way of working. And it's also around talking around talent, right? We we sort of mentioned earlier, everybody is struggling with, with talent, right? Digital skills in particular are really hard talent to make sure that you, you grow and you retain. 
So you need to be able to create these environments where people can be empowered to be at their absolute best. And that's a mixture of technology and that's a mixture of culture as well. So we have these sorts of conversations about like, you know, your organisation is changing. It needs to be much more future fit. And then I'd kind of talk to, well, how, what, what are the building blocks, if you like, of how you get there? And organising around things like customer journeys and value streams is one of the building blocks. Having a, a flexible and composable architecture that allows you to quickly plug in new channels, which allows you to take a component that you build in one part of your organisation and reuse it in a journey in another is really super important to help with that speed to value. So you can see you start to kind of frame the challenge. You start to talk about the components then in which that are needed in order to, to deliver those um, uh, against those challenges. And then you start to talk about the benefits and the benefits always come down to quite simply in my mind, does it take cost out of the business? So therefore improve my profitability, right? Or as we are seeing at the moment, if it takes cost out of the business, does that mean that I can um, kind of protect my end user from some of the effects of inflation? Because that's a big challenge, obviously, at the moment. Um, does it help grow my top line? So does it help grow my business and grow my revenue? And does it, you know, take risk out of my business? I want to make sure that, you know, I'm compliant. I want to make sure that I am operating in a sustainable and ethical way. And so you're, you're basically bringing it all back to those three things. Then you start talking about how ServiceNow can actually underpin that. So you brought, you kind of told the story. You've kind of set the, this is where we are. This is how we need to change. And then you're showing how ServiceNow can give you that ability to quickly join up those silos across your business so that you can now operate in a horizontal mode. That how, you know, with its kind of platform of platform approach and the ability to integrate and actually now in San Diego, the ability to use automation engine as well to be able to hook into a number of the legacy systems really simply as well, enables you to act in a much more flexible and composable way. So you can see, you know, ServiceNow becomes the answer, but we haven't turned off the conversation and, and started with a technical kind of like slant to it um, in order to get their buy-in. And, that, and that, that's the most successful way. And, you know, in my mind, actually, even back from when I was developing workflows, in fact, um, back in Talis, where I built workflows to manage uh, certain processes on the manufacturing shop floor, this was always about, you know, understand what outcome you're trying to drive here, understand what's the value here, right? And then you build it and then you show it to the business what the, what the solution is. And this is just doing that at a much bigger scale, really. Yeah, same example is vaccine management during the COVID era. A nice bridge to the next question. Can ServiceNow be a strategic tool instead of just an enterprise service management tool? Oh my God, yes, 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 yes. And this is like uh, what I loved doing when I worked at ServiceNow, to be honest, was was talking about that. You know, I used to talk about how, and I still do today, talk about how ServiceNow is that platform for digital evolution. And by the way, I hate the word digital transformation. Um, I, I, I always think transformation implies that you change and that's it, right? And we know that we live in a state of continual change, right? The only way you'll be relevant 
it's supposed to continually evolve. And I think if you look at all of the components of um, or of ServiceNow, it absolutely has the um, potential to be the, if you like, the operating system for the next gen operating model. So the operating model underpins everything. It's the it's the nerve nervous system of an organization, right? And there is yep. no other platform that 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 can do that, right? And ServiceNow is so well positioned. And I love I love an analogy. Um, anyone that knows me well knows I love an analogy. Some are some are better than others, but I like to think about if you uh, the operating model of an organization needs to be more organic. It needs to be more like a living sort of being and if you think about us as humans right what happens if we're walking down a dark street at night um you know our senses are going kind of off aren't they so we're, we're seeing things we're hearing things we're maybe even smelling things and all of that is being processed in like milliseconds by our brain and our brain is kind of starting to apply context to that it's starting to say okay you're in a dark street at night is perhaps not a safe area of the city and then we start to apply learned behaviors and learned experience to it which is you know i understand that this could therefore be quite a high risk right um or i understand that you know lots of people have been mugged in this area or whatever it may be and then what you do you set your brain sends a signal to your body to action it and it might be quick you need to run away because there's got somebody chasing after you or, or or something like that and you can see in that that you can take that analogy into service now lots of different kind of external factors lots of different data points right um coming in from many different areas but you need to apply context to that and that's where the cmdb comes into it you apply context what does that what does that mean then you start to look at kind of like the using the you know the um ai capabilities on the platform to start to also help with you know if you like filtering through all that information to actually give you some kind of predictions and and guide you through what you might want to do based on those previous experiences and how you've addressed that pre uh, before. And then you want to drive an action off it. And that's where the workflow, the system of action comes into it, right? And drives that action. So that's why I think you can think of, you know, ServiceNow being that organic operating model right it's got the brain it's is that central nervous system that drives that action so yeah i absolutely think like it is you know it is very much critical to the kind of this the strategy of the business yeah uh, but to keep this uh, strategy of a business or keep the tool within an organization as a strategic tool you need some hands right so there yeah. are two things people versus product so and and we know within service now resourcing is a big challenge at the moment and retaining the good talent is another thing what are your thoughts on this yeah i think um yeah it is, it is a it is a challenge because the more that you embed the tool as you say into the organization you see it as a strategic tool the more demand you're getting um, the more demand means you need to obviously um uh need more people in order to deliver that so you've got a number of choices really and i think what what we're starting to see is more and more um 
clients kind of look at how they can leverage the wider kind of talent pool in an organization and uh, by that I mean kind of really starting to build up that citizen developer type approach so if you think about it if you've got process owners um, they're going to know their process really really well right if you then arm them with the analytics as well around how that process might be performing um, and then you also arm them with a low-code platform like ServiceNow, right? You can kind of, you know, you can give them the ability to actually start improving those processes themselves. But you can still control it. So you can still have that kind of centralised con control, if you like. So you could still have the demand coming in, being managed by a ServiceNow centre of excellence. They could triage it. They could decide, you know, actually, this is something that, we can kind of route down a citizen developer route. And now we can make sure that we then grant the appropriate access to that citizen developer. We can make sure it goes through a change and release process, for example, um, or we can do it ourselves. So I think, and I used to talk a lot in my previous organization around, you know, if you're gonna innovate at scale, if you're gonna drive change at scale, you need everybody to be an innovator, everybody to be empowered to be an innovator. So the citizen developer route is absolutely, uh, you know, one way, one way of doing that. And um, I think, and you know, another way of doing that is also looking at how do you bring new talent into your organisation that perhaps is new to service now. And there are some great programmes. We've run a great programme ourselves um, uh, here at Accenture, like to bring in people that don't necessarily have much service now experience, but may have worked in, you know, either with other tools or completely different industries, like might have come from hospitality, might have come from, um, you know, retail and invested in training, um, training them, and then actually onboarding them into your organisation and then giving them the experience by working within project teams. So I think everybody actually, regardless of whether it's ServiceNow or sort of different technology, everyone has to be quite creative in, you know, where they see those resources come from. And I think, particularly when we start to look at like customer service, right, people that have worked in hotels have got a really good view of what makes a great customer experience right if you can bring that kind of like customer experience piece then you can train them up on the kind of platform side of things just think about what great experiences you could then build out on the platform that's amazing uh let's put a break on service now for some time that is do you have any child memories that are still fresh in your mind child memories Childhood memories. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I think um, probably I was thinking the other day actually um, about um, the first time I flew on a plane. Like my children um, have been on a plane since they were about six months old. So it's not that exciting to them. Um, we, we go on holiday in a few weeks and I was saying to them, who wants to sit next to the window? And both my children were like, I don't care. And I was thinking, oh, my God, that is my, you know, my memory as a child was you got on a plane and like I remember that first time. It was amazing, you know, watching you take off and suddenly being over the over London and it looking looking so small. And, you know, I, I sort of feel it's a bit of a shame in a way that my children take that for granted. <laughs> 
whereas I, I I found that really exciting and even now I actually quite like to sit next to the window and look out because let's face it you don't get that perspective um that often um I think you know a lot of my childhood memories are also around horses so I'm massively into horses I'm back into horses after a 10-year break uh, recently as well and uh you know the great thing about it is that um you know you can have a hard day at school you could be studying for your exams and then just going out and actually you know going out in the countryside just you and your horse it's a very relaxing place to be and in fact when I came back from service now knowledge um, in Vegas obviously Vegas is you know pretty full-on um, 24 hours a day um, the first thing I did when I got back home after seeing the family was go and get my horse and I went out for a ride to kind of enjoy the fresh air from countryside and not the uh, bright lights um, bright lights of Vegas um, but yeah so that that was probably uh, my my biggest memory and I think my memories as I'm a little bit older one of my favorites is probably when I was at university and I had a great job um like a summer job to work for creative labs and um I used to go and do a lot of events for them and I was a massive gamer when I was a, a teenager so loved um you know first person shooter and I worked I was lucky to work on the Sega Dream Arena and Dreamcast project as one of my earlier jobs as well and um yeah I had this great great summer where I just got paid to play games at exhibitions and you know I think at the time unfortunately I was a bit of a bit of a token female I think because you didn't get that many females in 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 gaming but yeah I mean that was brilliant uh, the best university summer job ever great uh, you sound more Dutch then because here uh, it's it's kind of a tradition that girls or females are mainly into horses yeah. <laughs> but yeah uh, if you had an opportunity okay to go in past and give one piece of advice to yourself your younger version what that can be um yeah so i think it would be um to or embrace my authentic self earlier if I'm, if I'm being honest so mm. I think I spent quite a number of years feeling like um perhaps I needed to change the way I spoke or change the way I approached something um I used to sort of say oh, you know I'm quite straightforward in my in my language I don't use these kind of big fancy kind of terms and I perhaps had a bit of an inferiority complex and you know it was only probably about five or six years ago really that um I kind of thought do you know what actually I've been quite successful in kind of when I've been being myself right and uh you know everybody everybody um you know is, is different and that's that's a great thing and my kind of the fact that I'm perhaps a bit more direct and a bit more simplistic sometimes in, in in my terms has helped me connect with people um has helped me make what can sometimes be an overly complex message with technology and i'm really good at simplifying that right so whereas i used to beat myself up for that i've now embraced that right so i think yeah absolutely i should have kind of 
embrace your authentic self and don't, and don't kind of put yourself don't put yourself down and yeah I was chatting to um uh somebody earlier today and I was talking about the fact that you know I love the fact that everybody's so different right that we work with and we don't want to be like a red brick wall we want to be like a nice stone wall where to build a stone wall you need all different shapes and sizes, all different colours of bricks, all di all different ages of bricks or whatever. And that creates a really beautiful, beautiful wall at the end of it. And you can only create that by adding to that, not by consuming it. So, you know, when new people come in with their different approaches, their different experiences, their different ways of looking at the world, we should build on that. We shouldn't try and turn them into our view of the world, if you like. So what keeps Neris busy apart from attending meetings? So, um, well, my two kids and husband, dog and horses keep me uh, keep me very busy. So, um, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time, um, a lot of time riding whenever I can. Um, but for me as well, I'm a, I'm a big reader um, and I like an audible uh, book as well. So I actually like to read um uh, fiction and I like to listen to non-fiction um, so I, I'm kind of I, I was telling someone today one of the books um, I've read recently which was uh, Invisible Women which is really in interesting because it's all about the fact all about unconscious bias really very much obviously from a gender perspective but you know the fact that until fairly recently more women died in a car crash than men because the crash test dummies were all based on the average man, not on the average woman, right? And, you know, just an oversight because the team of people that were responsible for the crash test, uh, crash testing only included men. Nobody actually thought, oh, well, we need to, you know, make sure that uh, we've got a, a female equivalent. And I think that exposes the need actually for, you know diversity in, in teams and if you're designing products you're designing services you need to have a team of people that are representative of the world that, that we live in right because otherwise you're never going to get that real kind of uh, holistic view a holistic view that you need and um, another book that's really interesting is a world without work um, which is all about the effect of automation basically um, and what that's going to mean from a kind of an economic perspective, but also from a kind of a social and well-being perspective and how we can do that in a socially responsible way. And that that's something, you know, on a personal level, I'm super, super passionate about. Right. Because automation can be a really great thing. You know, we talk about the fact that we want to, uh, you know, free up people from those Monday tasks and give them the ability to um you know upskill themselves but we need to make sure that that's actually happening right so if we automate parts we're also investing in people to develop those skills um the skills that they need and we need to also think about things like when when is it does it make sense to automate when does there need to be a human touch right because i i personally would find it very sad to live in a world where everything was kind of automated and you never got to have that kind of human interaction. But yeah, A World About Work uh, is, a, is, is a great book. So reading, reading, riding, uh, running, around, running around with my kids, really, is uh, what, what keeps me busy. 
Um, and then, um, and, and at work, for me, it's all about, you know, getting out and getting kind of staying involved in as many of the kind of client interactions as possible. So are you into sports or not? Um, well, other than other than riding, I used to I used to uh, go to every home Reading football game um, for many many years um, until the until the children came along. So me and my husband were avid uh, Reading fans, but we haven't been for a very very long time now. Um, and quite honestly, before COVID, my one favourite holiday every year was skiing. I absolutely love skiing. If I could if I could live kind of the winter in the Alps, that would be my dream come true, uh, to be honest, you know, yeah. again, nothing better than kind of whizzing down. But interestingly, I'm also a complete data geek when I'm skiing as well. So I have to have an app that I can compare how high did I go? How fast did I go? What was the what was the gradient? And then I get really competitive then and see if I can uh, beat beat my husband and beat my friends um, going down some of these runs. So how do you prefer to consume content? Is it books as I know you read a lot of books, but is it audio books, books or videos? Yeah, so um, as I said, I think nonfiction, I like audible books. Um, I think, uh, yeah, because I do that kind of whilst I'm kind of getting on with other jobs, really, to be honest. So you could be tidying up the house and listening and it's it's kind of good um non-fiction i do like to read I, I i did go onto a kindle about three or four years ago uh, after kind of saying oh no i couldn't imagine not reading them proper book um but it's just so convenient quite frankly um uh, the kindle um so yeah and i think videos yes in um in sort of short periods i don't like a long video if i'm honest i'd rather listen to that because I quite like to be walking um, as well. And I've, I, I did some work a few more, many years back now with the International Olympics Committee. And what was really interesting about that was they were massive advocates of walking meetings um, because when you're walking, you know, there's more oxygen going to your brain. So that whole idea is that you get better ideas and it's kind of, as well as being more physically healthy. Um, so um, yeah, so for me, like a podcast, like an audible book is my preference um, rather than a video. Okay, as per the culture of Latan Vipratan, it's game time. So it's going to be a rapid fire, one or two word maybe. So okay. are you ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> the first question, uh, your favorite holiday destination? Bali. Favorite cuisine? Mexican. Favorite part of service now? Uh, strategic portfolio management. One thing you hate in service now? Oh, um, still improvements to be made on the UX. <laughs> the best thing about being a leader? Uh, working with people, to be honest. Worst thing about being a leader? Uh, having to deal with the kind of any escalations, the negative sides of things. No one likes doing that. Work from home or office? 
can't say both. <laughs> both. To be honest, they both have their place. Uh, last one. One person you miss working with. Um, oh, that is, that's a really, really tough one. Um, uh, it's probably my old HR partner, a lady called Hannah Boots, because she was such a great strategic business partner. And when we were looking at how we transformed the business, how we drove a new culture, she was absolutely epic at helping me do that. So, yeah. But luckily, she's a good friend of mine now. So I still get to see her. Nice. So, do you want to give any last one piece of advice for our service now professionals or the listeners uh, of this podcast? Um, I suppose it's not really advice as such. It's like if you're listening to this podcast, it's because obviously you're you're brought into service now. You see the potential in in service now and. They're still relatively early on in their journey, right? So you're still kind of, you've joined relatively early in their cycle of success. So I think you've chosen a great platform to to invest in. And I think we're going to see, you know, when Bill says he's going to do 15 billion, I think he's just changed it again now, upwards another 3 billion, um, you, you know, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of exciting work. That's a lot of different areas of the business you're going to get exposed to. So, yeah, it's not advice. It's like, cool, you're in a good place to be because it's going to get even more exciting. And we can all celebrate with a big party in a, at a big knowledge. Yeah, definitely. One question that I personally want to ask, if I remove the partner requirements from ServiceNow, do you feel investing heavily in certification is worth it? Um, I, I think, I think it's certification is gives is is one way of looking at a level of experience that people have, right? So, um, and I think sometimes it's in, it's kind of it's good to understand kind of where the skills are, but certification in isolation does not give you enough of a view of people's experience, um. And I think for me, the kind of more like, if you like, the experience and the MPS side of things gives you a better view of kind of the expertise and uh, and the skills. Bring them together, you've got a bit more of a holistic view, haven't you? Yeah. So we have come to an end. Uh... I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being here, uh, Neris. Uh, it, it, it's greatly appreciated. No, thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been really, really good. Once again, thank you very much. That usually happens when you don't give people the questions that we are going to ask. So we keep the element of surprise for them. <laughs> I, I, I much prefer. I much prefer having just a, a conversation like this because it's like, as you say, it's kind of much more natural and authentic, right? Indeed.